We're on? Okay. Um, Wow, we're really on. We're in a series on Havarot and house churches, really relational networks. And um, we've talked a little bit about uh, this subject. This will be our third session on that. Next week, we're going to actually forego the sermon. I'll do a real brief introduction, then we'll have a congregational discussion regarding the application of this. Um, These gatherings that we've been talking about that I call relational networks um, are really not about going to church. Uh, The biblical pattern for God's people, the tabernacle engaged in activity every day because of the priesthood. The people gathered in their homes on Shabbat or, or in their tents when they were with the tabernacle, they would also acknowledge the new moon at the beginning of the month, and then they engaged in the holy days. So over time, what developed was really weekly and monthly gatherings of people daily in the immediate family and local area, and then larger gatherings at the, at the holy days. Um, so I, I suggested that this is really about being community. Uh, and I use um, the term uh, congregation rather than church. Uh, so house congregation might be the better way to use that term. Um, when I'm talking about the Disciple Center, I talk about the congregation. When I'm talking about these facilities that we're in, I talk about the sanctuary. Uh, because I want to separate that notion that we often use the word church for the building uh, more for, than for the people. So last time we looked at households, and I talked about in, ha, intact households, non-intact marital households that are widows and their orphans or divorced uh, people and their children. I then talked about marital extent, and I mean non-marital extended family that involves both marriage and extended family. Non-marital households like Mary, Lazarus, and Martha. And then single gender and individual households. So we looked at the biblical formats of households. We also looked at relational networks. I said these are more individualized and they're based on gender, age, They involve Bible study groups, ministry groups, musical groups, those kinds of things that churches have done. Now, because of our culture, which is so highly individualized, most churches thrive on the uh, ministry groups and the uh, age groupings and the gender groupings. They have men's groups, women's groups, children's groups, youth groups, Bible study groups, and not so much on the family connections uh, the Havarot kind of thing, or the house congregations. So that's why I'm talking about those in that context. Today, as we look at this, I want to talk about how these are used within the congregation and beyond the congregation, uh, really, again, getting ready for our discussion next week. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4, I know your text, uh, your bulletins say 11 to 16, but I'm going to do the first uh, few verses and then move to 11 uh, to 16 in that context. 
Paul says to the Ephesians, and remember he told all of the churches to read this letter to the Ephesians, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We've been called to Christ. We should walk appropriately or act appropriately, live appropriately with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And the minute you're in a group of people, you're going to need humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another, because there's always going to be an odd person in there. And if you're in a group and you can't recognize the odd person, guess who it is, right? So that's that's part of our, our problem, right? Um being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in what hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now he goes on and he talks about gifting. I'm going to leave that alone and pick it up at verse 11. In the context of this, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. All of these ministries are, if you will, within the congregation for the purpose of building up the people in their spiritual maturity and their place in the body of Christ. Verse 13, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children, because we're mature, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. But we speak the truth in love, that's the scriptures. We speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, what the apostle is trying to tell them is that in all of their relationships, they are to try to walk worthy of the calling of Christ and remember that they're members of one another. Not just members of one another in the household, not members of one another in the small group of friends, which we would call a havara, uh, not in the uh, congregation that you belong to, but in the entire body of the Lord. It's one of the reasons why the Disciple Center encourages people to have relationships with people in other congregations, other denominations, across the spectrum of Judaism and Christianity, so that we practice what I call the communion of saints, the belonging to one another in that worldwide, universal sense that we used to use the word church, but we don't use it much in that sense anymore. So, today we're going to look at the Havarot, or the house congregations, and other relational networks within and beyond the congregation. So, a congregation 
is made up of at least 10 households of various configurations, we already talked about those, that covenant together as a community of faith in order to engage in worship, which uh, includes prayer, discipleship, which involves teaching, fellowship, which is the body life of ministering to one another based on our natural and spiritual gifts, and judgment, which is about relational reconciliation. The term judgment in our current use of English has the idea of condemnation. That's not the way it's being used in that in this sense. It's being used in the sense of reconciling and working through disputes that we have among ourselves for the common good. So those, that's the reason a congregation comes together. Within that congregation, the households that make it up and the other relational networks that form function to develop the identity the sense of community, the cooperation, and the ministry within that congregation, both for the adult members and their children who are forming in that context. So what begins to happen is groups begin to connect. Now Paul talks about groups that connected at the Corinthian church. They were connecting as, we're the real ones, you're not. This ministry is more important than that one. And Paul is arguing for their unity, but he's not arguing for not having groups. He says there must be groups among you, there must be factions among you, that those who are approved among you might be demonstrated. And what he's talking about there is those who belong appropriately to a group, but connect beyond the group appropriately are the ones who are approved because they understand the unity of the body in the bond of peace, uh, as Paul has been talking about. So, uh, these groups form to reinforce the covenant of that community of faith and to provide what I call life-to-life contact for the members who know so that the members can learn to know and trust each other well. So, Within the congregation, then, there are groupings that will take place. And as I said, most congregations have organized in a program structure around the network relationships that are based on gender and age and those kinds of programs. I want to talk more, emphasize more, the Havarot and house congregation notion uh, for that. So I'll start with that. Havarot, or house churches or house congregations are four to ten connected households which have the ability to reinforce the overall spiritual development of the members of that Havarot. Now this group is there not just for a given specialized purpose. We're doing a Bible study or we're getting together for Passover or we're getting together for uh, Pentecost or something like that. They are focused on, just like a family is focused on the overall benefit of the members of the family. So is a Havarot, but this is a group of families or households, probably uh, four to ten, probably in the age of four to six, more likely. Once you get to ten, you've almost got a full congregation. So, um, the group meets together weekly, often for the Ev Shabbat, the Eve of Shabbat, Friday night, or Havdalah, which is Saturday night at the end of the Sabbath, or in some cases, Sunday evenings. They also meet, or can meet, 
uh, monthly at the start of the Jewish month or at the first uh, Sunday or the first of the Gregorian calendar month. Now, ideally, these households have other connections that make natural groupings, such as living in close proximity to one another or working at the same place. There are several of us who work at Cal Baptist. There was a time when uh, many in the congregation were connected to uh, ECCU, that kind of thing. What, what happens is often you have other natural connections. You either live in the same neighborhood, you go to the same work, you are involved in the same uh, parachurch organizations. Whatever that is, those are natural groupings. It's one of the things that I think churches have done inappropriately when they've tried to form what they call small groups. Small groups is just a contemporary form of the Havarot thing. A little more specialized, but that general idea. What they do often is they assign the groups. And then you're, you're, you're put in that group, right? And then if that group isn't working well because the personalities clash, that group starts to, to dwindle. And another group might thrive. And then what happens is when that group is thriving, the administrator who likes clean paper and equal groups will take that group and break them up into two groups, and then one of them will dwindle, right? Because they're not thinking about these as relational networks. Now, you know this. In any group, even within your family, which we're all going to see this week, there are people that you more likely interact with and people that you more tolerate, right? And that's family members. Uh, but you don't remove them because they're family. So in the same way, congregation, there are people in the congregation you're more likely to interact with and people you're less likely to interact with, but they're all part of the congregation. So I believe the best way for the Havarot system to work is for natural relational connections to be used to form those groups. And that's okay if this group only has three households in it and this one has seven because those seven have this connection and these three have this connection as long as they're not exclusive in their interaction with each other. They need to understand that they're all part of the larger congregation in that framework. In the same way that often when families get together, they'll play a board game and it'll be the men against the women, right? It's not saying uh, that you're not part of the family because we're only doing men. It's just doing those other kinds of groupings that are natural to us in that framework. So these Havarot uh, would meet weekly or monthly in that context, and they operate really like a mini-congregation because they're about the enhancement of the spiritual formation, transformation, and reformation of all the members of the Havarot or house congregation. And they provide intensive care to each other and then as a group to the larger congregation as well uh, in that context. So they operate like the small groups that are found in many congregations, but they're more naturally connected and relationally connected because you lose the relational aspect when you simply make something based on age or gender or, or interest in that sense. Now, how do these Havarot meet? Well, they can meet in a host home, that is one person in the congregation or in the Havarot says, we can use our home, we have 
plenty of space and we'll meet for our weekly meeting or our monthly meeting in that context. Or, in many cases, they rotate into other homes where people are uh, able to host that. In some cases, a person is able to host it, but can't really lead it and facilitate it, and another person who doesn't have a home they can host in may do the facilitating. The group kind of is autonomy, autonomous and has to uh, work through that themselves. Now, uh, because the Havarot are focused on discipleship of its members' households, they're not oriented to numerical growth. In other words, these are not outreach groups. I'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, they, they are more focused on maturing the members within their own Havarot. And because they are focused on that, and because they are being led by some of the heads of households, they require less pastoral or rabbinic care. In other words, the pastor or the rabbi can be on call to them as they're working, but they work through these things themselves. Often these groups uh, do not have one of the pastors or the rabbis in the group. And certainly if they're in the group, they're not leading the group. These are autonomous groups because the, one of the purposes of this that I'll talk about later in the series is that if there is persecution, who gets put in jail or killed? The rabbis and the pastors, right? And therefore, these congregations can continue to function because they weren't primarily dependent on them in the first place. So, um, they are holistic in that sense. Many congregations rotating in homes, so they don't need facilities in that sense. And they don't need a heavy clergy presence uh, as we might think in other contexts. Now, Beyond these groups within the congregation, there are relational networking groups that are less generalized than the gatherings of these families. They are maintaining a specific ministry or an interest focus. So that might be a children's choir that is meant in some of the homes that we've had, or it might be a uh, Iwana's group that meets in one of the families, or it might be a Bible study that is done, a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study, or it might be a youth activity uh, committee that's doing In other words, these are people who are focused on these more other type of relational structures. They're not looking at the overall spiritual development. They're just looking at a specific focus. There might even be a theological group that meets, right? So they're much more specialized and they're less likely to provide a maturing thing. And that's why many churches that think by having these groups, they will mature the people and the discipleship will happen there. That doesn't happen. Because more likely than not, these are not primarily based on fellowship and relational connections. They're based on an interest or a ministry that the group is doing. So, uh, the... Uh, they're not involved in life cycle ministry or holy days completely, but they might be focused on one. So one group might form to say, let's say a group of men in the congregation said, gee, we've got a bunch of uh, uh, 
children that are going to be confirmation or bar mitzvah pretty soon, what we're going to do is we're going to meet with them and we're going to work with that group of boys or the women with a group of girls and we're going to get them ready for that, right? So they're focused really on one aspect of the thing instead of the totality, which is more the Havarot thing. So what you might think of is one is a mini congregation that has all the interests going and the other one is a specialized ministry group uh, that is focused. And you could be part of more than one. You, your family could be part of this Havarot or, or house congregation and then you could also participate in some other ministry that might feed the poor. Uh, uh, well, that would be outside, so I'll talk about that in a minute. Now, a second form of, uh, of this might be uh, groups that minister to the terminally ill within the congregation, or widows, which the deacons do, but the deacons more administrate it. What you really have is people that, that want to help out with those things. The providing of meals when there's a, uh, a, a child born or somebody's in the hospital. And in, in many synagogues and congregations, there are people who provide burial for those who don't have family or have means. They're called burial societies. You'll see them in many in, the, in Eastern Orthodox churches and in synagogues where they uh, provide that service within the congregation when there, when there is a need. Um, so, uh, there's one last group within the congregation, and those are the ones who are focused mostly on missionary support Remember that historically, missionaries came out of the congregation, so they were still considered part of that congregation, much in the way that we consider Rami and Frida part of our congregation. So people who are organized to stay in communication and to work to get their support, and that would be a specialized group within the congregation. And finally, there might be a group that is mostly focused on being connected to the denomination. So for example, in our case... We're connected denominationally in two ways. There might be a group that forms specifically to work with Southern Baptist causes and another group that's formed to work specifically with the Messianic organizations that we're connected to in that, in that kind of framework. Um, and they would work with the people within the congregation uh, and then just act as a liaison uh, beyond that. Now, what about... Well, let me talk about the withins... The purpose of within groupings, whether they be Havarot type or relational network ministry types, is to allow the body, the local congregation, to function uh, as a holistic system. Not a top-down program structure organized by the elders, but the body functioning in their own gifting and their own uh, responsibility and their own maturity and seeing the connections that are made within the congregation. There are household congregations and there are ministry congregations and interest congregations, uh, 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 connections. So whether you're gathering as households or you're gathering for this ministry or you're gathering for this interest group, they are ways for the body to be connected uh, to one another and to know one another and therefore be able to help one another in an appropriate way. Now, what about beyond the congregation? And that's one that we need to think about 
the Disciples Center has been primarily internally focused for good reason. Uh, when you are developing, you want to develop uh, a strong root system. You want to develop a strong core of what you're doing and then move beyond there. You don't want to have a base that as soon as you go outside, the base collapses. And so we have worked mostly on the, the base. So I'm going to talk about Havarot and uh, house congregations external to the congregation uh, or that move beyond the congregation and relational networks that do the same. So Havarot and house congregations may also be formed as groups connected to the congregation but functioning beyond the normative geography of the congregation. So there are people, for example, that contact me regularly. They listen to the messages. They, they go on to our media that are public, social media that are public, and they watch the YouTube videos or they go through the catechism and do that kind of stuff. And they meet in their homes and they gather in that context. And they can't possibly come here because they're in other states all around the country. And in some cases, they're in other countries. But what they want is to some connection. And I keep getting uh, letters from people who have those. They say, we have a small group that meets in our house. And we listen to the sermons. And we use the materials. Is there a way for us to be able to ask questions and get advice? Would you mentor us in that sense? So in this sense, it is groups beyond. Now, this could also be people who relocated from the Disciple Center and are now out of state but still want to connect to us, that they could create a Havara that meets in their home, that listens to this kind of thing. So these many congregations are connected to the host congregation, but they're autonomous groupings of households. And they're made up of former or associate members of the congregation who now live beyond a reasonable distance for full participation. They meet weekly to view the sermon or listen to it and discuss it. Or they might decide that they're going to listen to it individually and just come for the discussion. Right? They would work that out. Um, they also have access to us through the social media and they also then usually will ask me for the home versions of the holy days that we use. The, the lighting of the candles for Advent, the uh, Passover Seder, a Judeo-Christian form of that. What do we do at uh, uh, Yom Kippur? If we're not going to be with you, how can we do the fast and what, what do we read? So we, provide, we would provide information for them in that context. Now... They still would function for mutual care within the Havara in that sense. Because they're focused on the total development of the people. Now a second form of this might be made up of members of more than one congregation. And by their gathering they connect those two congregations as a larger community of faith. So let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say that there is a, a Baptist congregation... Uh, and a Messianic congregation that some of you have very close friends or family in, and you form a Havara, a group that will gather. This is not just a Bible study group. 
I'll talk about those later. This is a group that's really concerned about the total spiritual development. And there's connections between the congregations. So the Havara is really made up of members of that Baptist church and us, or that Messianic synagogue and us. And therefore, it has a broader body of Messiah connection in what they're doing. They might do the very same things that an internal one is doing, but this one is connecting to the larger uh, body in that, in that framework. Um, and then a third possibility of a Havarot is what we would probably call a congregational plant. A group says, we're going to put a congregation, I don't know, I'll just make one up. Let's say someone says, we're going to put a congregation in Temecula, can you help us? And so uh, a group of families gather and begin the Havara there, not with the idea of remaining three to five families, but to get to ten or twelve so that an actual congregation could be formed, uh, similar to what the Disciple Center is doing. Again, I have people that write and say, are you open to helping us plant something similar to what the Disciple Center is in our area? And so it would be that kind of uh, framework as well. Um, it's a relational approach to congregational planning rather than a program one. The, most of our congregations are, are started by plants where they just try to reach out to strangers instead of people in a community gathering and saying, we're going to work within our relational networks to gather people together into a congregation to form the core, which is how the Disciple Center was established. Now, what about external, that is, gatherings beyond the congregation that are relational networks? These are for the purpose of connecting the congregation to people outside our congregation for cooperative ministry, what used to be called parachurch. Uh, people would work in Youth for Christ, or they work in Campus Crusade. They're working in a ministry. They represent the Disciple Center's uh, interest in that. They also are connecting to other churches and other denominations in that framework. And also as outreach to the larger non-religious populations. So this is where we get into issues of evangelism. So ministries beyond the congregation has two targets. The first is to minister within the larger body of Messiah among Jews and Christians of several denominations. And they may be charitable ministries or groups that create dialogue between various types of Jews and Christians with the purpose of relational unity being primary over doctrinal and practice uniformity. Those kinds of things. I've belonged to groups for many years that do that. We need this uh, to support understanding and threats of religious persecution. It can be helpful if a synagogue or a church is attacked for us to make a public statement that we're in solidarity with them. But it is much more powerful if we have relationships with some of the people in those congregations or people who are connected to relatives of those congregations, and then can say, we're, we're with them because we know them. You know that it is always a, um, a stronger bond when you know people than when you just know of people. 
And so the idea is that these things should be relational and not merely functional in that sense. Um, we need uh, this in order to not just wait for tragedy to happen and then we contact them and say, how can we help you? If we already know them, we have a good idea of how we can help. And people become anxious when they have a tragedy and all of a sudden strangers are saying we want to help you. They don't quite know whether they can trust them, but if you've already got connections, uh, then it's helpful. So often what I do is I, I watch on Facebook or other places, if something happened in an area, I usually will know someone in the church community or the Jewish community that knows people there, and I can find out where do we make connections for helping uh, relational connections are really better than just cold calling somebody in that sense. Now, a second target is those who have no faith or who have a damaged faith. And I have a particular concern and interest for those who have a damaged faith. I guess I could add into this group uh, the concern that Rabbi Dowerman has talked to us about uh, intermarrieds, secular Jews and semi-religious Jews are marrying non-Jews at a rate of about 75% of their marriages. That's a massive exodus out of the Jewish community in some sense. And there needs to be a ministry to interact with intermarriage. Intermarriage is not a problem when people are dating and when they're in love because they don't think about anything else. But then when they have their first child and they have a Catholic family that says, or an Orthodox Christian family that says, are you going to baptize that child? And you have a Jewish family saying, are you going to circumcise him? And all of a sudden there's issues. And I've had many flights on planes where I, I'm talking to somebody next to me, turns out to be an intermarried Jewish Christian marriage and I talk about it and all of a sudden they want me to help them uh, because there's just not a lot of help for that. So Dr. Uh, Dowerman is hoping to start some Havarot that are based specifically on those couples. They'd be made up of those kinds of families. And I think that, that we should find a way to connect to them as well in, in our own way uh, because I think this is a way of bringing back people whose faith has been weakened or lost in, or damaged in some of these uh, contexts. So, bringing people into our homes and then into our congregations keeps outreach uh, relational. So if you have a Bible study, more, uh, I, w- I was going to say more better, I'll say it, more better than that, <laughs> better than that, is if you are keeping Shabbat and you invite somebody and they come into your home and they get exposed to this. They, you answer questions about it uh, or maybe a Passover Seder and they ask questions about it. And then uh, you, they meet some other members of the congregation in your home at another time. By the time you bring them to the Disciple Center, they know some of the people of the congregation. So they're already relationally connected. And then if they decide they want to stay, it's less of a difficult adjustment than if somebody just came with one invitation and they show up and now they've got to meet everybody and they've got to make connections. The relational approach, I think, is always better than the uh, 
uniform approach of here's a track, you want to come to Jesus, we meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday kind of thing. So uh, this, this notion of inviting people to a home-based Holy Day celebration is less threatening than bringing them to a church service and gives them a chance to ask questions informally, which is possible here because we have the Q&A afterwards, but is not as easy for uh, particularly an introvert uh, to to open up and talk about things in that way. So, uh, the Disciple Center has to think about our next step of ministry. And the place of Havarot, house congregations, and ministry relational networks, both within the congregation and beyond the congregation. So what I want to do is, this week I'm going to be uh, putting a kind of synopsis of what I've talked about in the last three times uh, on Facebook, and I'll, I'll send it out on the email. And I'm, if I get time, I may do a real brief video uh, on that to kind of get us ready for the discussion. Again, we've already done things. We've had uh, services in several homes. People do seders. People have invited people over for Shabbat. There have been uh, special gatherings. What we're thinking about is how can we, uh, without organizing this into a program and killing it, how can we make use of that and what materials and what resources do we need to facilitate that for those of you who are doing uh, those kinds of things? So um, I'm hoping next week we'll be able to do that. We'll forego the sermon and have an extended discussion time. That'll lead us right up before Advent. And we'll look at the possibility of setting up these groups within and beyond the congregation. And I'm thinking about, at least at the Havarot level or the household congregation level, something that happens weekly or monthly uh, and in some sense is not uh, extending more and more energy uh, for people, but something that can be more natural gatherings. And then, of course, uh, some of you are already doing home Bible studies or uh, this new Awana's group, those, those kinds of things are really good and they are part of what this should be. And people should be free to, uh, to do those things and not have to go through uh, a hierarchy uh, to say that. I mean, you're, you're the body of the Lord, you're gifted, you're able, you're competent, and you can do these things. And then if you need help, the elders can help with that, but they shouldn't be controlling and, and directing those kind of things. So I'm hoping we'll have more discussion of that next week and begin to look into that. Then, from that perspective, we'll have to then consider what is the need for the facilities, what alternatives do we have if we want to keep the facilities, what, what do we do in that context would be the next step in the discussion but I think we need to have this one first. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, this week of thanksgiving.